Welcome to Becoming a Financially Confident Woman podcast. I am so glad you're here. Hey, listen, I have a guest here today um, that is that does something that's very controversial, shall I say. Uh, everyone has everything to say about the work that she does, and she does good work, but I believe that it is good work that has been misunderstood for so many years. And I want to give her an opportunity to explain what she does and how the work she does really helps people create generational wealth. And her name is Jeannie McGee, and she's with Fairway Mortgage, and she specializes in working with families uh, to use to use reverse mortgages as a generational wealth tool. I, I hope I said that right, Jeannie. You did. Okay, and so I'm I'm welcoming welcoming her to the show today, and we're gonna learn a lot today. Um, and the goal is education always, so that we can know better. I think when we know better, we do better. And also, of course, it's about becoming financially confident. And so I think this tool in our quiver will help us to be even more confident and see this as an option as a generational wealth creating tool. So welcome, Jeannie. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, April. I'm glad to be here. So I'm glad you're here. And I will tell you, um, and you and I have talked about this. And so one thing about me is, um, and about this show, I am 100% transparent about what I think, what my flaws are, what what I need to learn. And I think when I was introduced to you uh, via a mutual colleague, um, I didn't have the best view of this whole thing. I, I probably was the the um, the angry black woman. It probably gave me a little bit of that energy when we spoke. And so it took a couple times for us to speak and then for me to come to one of the webinars that you invited me to to learn more about it, to open my mind. So first off, I just want you to give us your background. Tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and that sort of thing. Sure, sure, sure. So interestingly, my background is in design. So I have a design degree. Oh. And um, no, no background in finance or anything, but I have a design degree. And I was a designer for many years. After that, I was actually uh, a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. I'm the mother of three sons. Oh. And uh, I actually fell into the business. Like, it wasn't something I was looking for. I had gone to uh, East Africa and Kenya with a group of folks, and uh, we became friends with one of the um, couples there, and we later went to Philadelphia to visit them. And he was doing the reverse mortgage, what we call the home equity conversion mortgage. And my husband looks at me and says, you would be good at that. Now the jury is out as to whether or not he was trying to just make me go back to work because I was still a stay-at-home mom <laughs> or if he really thought I'd be good at it. But that's what he said. And 21 years later, here I am still doing this. There you okay. go. All right. So, hey, listen, take your partner's advice. You got to go partner. That, that's a clue. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. So so why, like, why this industry? Like, what was it about this this thing? Because you could have gone back to work and done so many things. You had a very eclectic um, past as far as, right, work history and degree. So why why this? Yeah, so again, I was a stay-at-home mom, and one of the things I was committed to is to raising my sons. I didn't want anybody to see the first walk or 
um, the first step or uh, I didn't want anybody to be the one that um, took care of my children after school. And so what I saw of it, honestly, I didn't see the opportunity. I saw the opportunity to work, contribute to the household and still have flexible time. So I could go to my kids' classroom and read in the class or when they went on a field trip. That was super important to me to be present with those mm -hmm. three boys. And so that was really my initial um, draw to it, that, that it had flexibility and I could earn money at my own pace. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So then obviously now you became a champion for it. Tell me, tell me why. Yeah. So any, if you know me, anything that I do kind of like you, April, it's like, I'm a little competitive and if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it well. Like I don't want to half step and kind of do it and not do it. So I kind of threw myself into it. I uh, did a lot of research before getting into it. And then I committed myself to learning the product and continuing to learn how to present that information. And, and, and I did that and I still do that. Even 21 years, I'm still learning. I'm still reading. I'm still going to conferences and listening to podcasts. I like I'm a lifelong learner. But the biggest thing that really pulled me in and allowed me to stay here for 21 years is that I saw one, the need of my clients, 62 or older, going into retirement. I saw the need and then I saw the impact of unlocking their housing wealth to help them have a better retirement. I saw those two things firsthand through my clients and I realized how important, impactful the work that I do is to my clients. Wow. So tell me like, you know, this is, and I, I, that webinar I was on that you sent me to was really good, but one of the things uh, reverse mortgage has been associated with is a last resort, right? So this is your last option. And so it also has been associated with um, more in the lower income community. So minority communities, lower income, maybe the ho the homes don't have the value um, that the homes in different zip codes may have. So, so tell us about you know, that and, and, you know, discuss that. What does that mean? What does that look like? And how is it actually different? Than that? So when I first got in the business in 2002, my clients generally were that last resort. So it was people who had bought a house years ago, um, didn't save for retirement, right? And found themselves in retirement with nothing to sustain their retirement other than social security, right? But they had a house and here in Atlanta, like a lot of areas, I live in the city. The cities were being gentrified, right? Mm -hmm. And so they bought a house, say for $40,000 back in the day. Their house was now worth 400,000, right? Mm -hmm. So, and often paid off, but they didn't have enough money to maybe pay the taxes because one, one of the things that happens in gentrification is that the tax base goes up, right? So the cost of, of, of staying in the house goes up. People were buying houses, renovating them. They wanted to renovate their house too, didn't have the money, right? So that was my client and it was my privilege to help them understand how to unlock their largest asset at home and that that asset 
had been a great investment because it had grown in value throughout. Now, keep in mind, a lot of those folks bought the house, lived through white flight, right? Because white flight happened where people left the cities and there was a disinvestment in the cities. And then they start coming back. Right? And lived through all of that. Mm-hmm. And so so we saw and served those people. What happened, though, in the, in the downturn in the economy in 2008, 9, 10, we saw what I call the newly distressed. So these were people who before that had, you know, put their nose up to me and said, you know, Bob and I don't need the reverse mortgage we've saved for retirement. These people were distressed. And stressed in ways they had never been distressed. Like people saw, you know, they were upside down on their mortgages, right? They had leveraged that house with the HELOC and the HELOC was tied to the market and they were trying to make make, make it, make those payments, the servicing of that. Like people were stressed in ways that they had never been stressed. And our industry, the mortgage industry, went through a major thing in terms of redoing underwriting guidelines, including the HECM industry. And one of the things that happened is the HECM industry rewrote their guidelines for how HECMs or reverse mortgages, I'll be using those synonymously, how they were underwritten. So suddenly we had to pull a credit report. Suddenly they had to prove that they could make their property taxes and homeowners insurance. Mm. Suddenly they had to prove that they had uh, satisfactory credit, right? And so it wasn't, so before that, we didn't have to pull a credit report. We didn't underwrite that way. So what happened effectively because of that, um, those new underwriting guidelines who and who it was targeted at, it began to be a product that financial planners and realtors and others were looking at because it was being used in a different way and really aimed at a different demographic of people. Mm. Now, the other thing that I've noticed having been in this business for 21 years is that there's two stories being told, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. The, The stories that my black clients get are stories like uh, what was published about five or six years ago in USA Today. It highlighted a couple, an urban couple, black couple in Philadelphia who had a reverse mortgage and they died and the kids didn't know they had a reverse mortgage and the kids were blaming the reverse mortgage for them not being able to keep the house. Mm-hmm. Now, when you dug a little bit deeper, it wasn't the reverse mortgage. It's that they just didn't know that mom and dad had used up their equity, just like you'd use use up a 401k or IRA. It was there. They had put money into it. They decided they wanted to use it, right? But that's the story. And, and it was really uh, a black eye to the industry. That's the story that black people got. But interestingly, my white clients get information from their financial planner who's been educated. They get information from Kiplinger Magazine. They get information from the Financial Planning Magazine, from Money Magazine, and on and on. They're getting information from different sources than my Black clients. And so they're using it not as a last resort, but as a first resort. They're using up what is often the largest asset they have to keep their assets, their other assets under management, 
mm-hmm. to take that mortgage payment off the table and maybe take that $1,500 or $2,000 mortgage payment to buy insurance or to give their to their planner. So they're using it as a, a, a coordination, in coordination with other assets. So there's two different stories, even to this day, still being told about how this product works and how you can use it in combination with other assets to build your wealth and your legacy. You know, that is so best telling because it really lets us know that <laughs> there are two different stories. I mean, I, that, you know, the, the keys to generational wealth are not always what you think they are. And if you are not educating yourself, if you are not doing things like listening to podcasts or reading and that sort of thing, you won't know and you will only take one narrative. And I will say, you guys, I was that person. I had a family member do that. And in when it all shook out, you know, it worked out. But it was it was tough for me because I didn't understand and I didn't know and I and I had all these preconceived ideas about what it was, about why it was done. Um and, you know, I felt like you know, white folks came into our community and this was heirloom property and, you know, got her to do something that wasn't beneficial when in essence it was. And so, you know, understanding that if you do not educate yourself financially, you will only accept one narrative, which can keep you in bondage financially. And those other clients that have financial planners and advisors that are educating them are getting a different story that helps them to create generational wealth. So I forgot to start this out and I should have started out with you telling me exactly what a HECM is, what is a reverse mortgage. I know there are different types. So if you won't mind just summarizing what what that is and what those different types are. Of course. So the, the reverse mortgage is actually known as the Home Equity Conversion Mortgage, or HECM, as an acronym, HECM. So if you hear HECM, they're talking about the FHA product that makes up 97% of reverse mortgages in the market, right? So nine, most, most reverse mortgages are that FHA product, the HECM. Now, there are the other 3% are made up of proprietary, that's private, reverse mortgages that are owned. They're not an FHA product. They're owned by different companies. They offer them as a, you know, to a broker. And those products are specifically for condos that are not FHA approved, are not willing to be FHA approved, Mm. or high value homes up to $4 million. So the HECM has a maximum claim amount of 1 million, a little bit over 1 million, 1 million, 89, $300, right? And so if you have a home that's $2 million, you may not get as much with that HECM product because of that maximum claim limit. And so you could use a this jumbo proprietary mortgage. Mm. Most reverse mortgages are the HECM, home equity conversion mortgage, that's an FHA product. Got you. And so... Tell us how that works. Like, how does a reverse mortgage, how does one go about, you know, doing that? What is that? 
Yeah. So the reverse mortgage is just a mortgage. You know, I tell people it's not as sexy as what you want to want it to be. It's just a mortgage. Uh, and a mortgage is just a security interest against a home. Now, most people understand a 30-year fixed mortgage, right? They understand you get a mortgage, right? You have 30 years to pay it off, and then you own the house, right? This and, and that security deed and the note is recorded in the county deed records. Well, with the reverse mortgage or HECM, same difference. You get a mortgage. It is recorded in the county deed records. We don't own the house. We don't own it. We don't take title. You still have title, you still have deed, a deed to the property. We just have a security interest, just like a regular mortgage. Mm -hmm. The big difference with the HECM and a traditional mortgage is that we have a delayed payment, right? So a traditional mortgage is underwriting for your ability to repay over 30 years. So you're making 360 equal payments typically over 30 years. A and a HECM, you have a delayed payment. So it doesn't have a 30-year term. It's, it's not due until you die, permanently move out, or sell. Or the note says until you turn 150 years old. Whatever comes first, right? Okay. So you have a delayed payment. You're not required to make a payment on that mortgage. Until you die, move, or sell, you are required, though, to pay the property taxes and the homeowner's insurance. Why? Because you still own it. You're the owner. And so you're responsible for the taxes, the insurance, the HOA, utilities, maintenance, everything that has to do with that house. You just don't have a required payment. And you can make a payment if you choose. So I do have clients who treat the HECM just like a traditional mortgage. They make payments. Why? Because they're still working. And when you make a payment, it does pay down the balance, but it also it can be reborrowed, which is not the case with a traditional mortgage. When you make a, a mortgage payment with a traditional mortgage, it immediately turns into equity and you don't have access to it. With a HECM, when you make a payment, it pays down the mortgage balance, but you have that money dollar for dollar available to reborrow in the future should you need it so does it it doesn't necessarily increase the fair market market value it just increases your ability to take more money out of the house if you continue to pay while it's in the HECM status yeah so what we what i like to use the example is like a credit card let's say you have a credit card that has a thousand dollar balance and it's just there and you decide you're going on a trip and you'd like to increase that line to three thousand Mm. doesn't mean you've used it, but you can use it. You have $3,000 that you can, instead of 1000 So there's an assumption with the HECM that the house will continue to appreciate, right? Gotcha. We don't know it will. And in fact, if it doesn't, it doesn't affect that line. That line will continue to be available and continues to grow. So that line continues to grow even if the house does not. That was something that was a shocker for me was when I was on that webinar and they said so and 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 you could you correct me if I'm wrong I may have it messed up but it's like if the house does a 2008 right and it decreases in value you pass away right the amount you don't owe less for somehow you're not kind of upside down if I'm understanding it correctly 
And so when you go to sell or when you go, when you pass away, you only do what is been borrowed on the house. Is that correct? So two things. So that I screwed up. I screwed. Well, two things. The how the the line of credit, either money from um, what you took out and you didn't use it all, or if you make payments, that money continues to grow and it grows even if your house doesn't. So I did a loan That's for right. loan yeah. for a woman in two thousand two. And she took out a line of credit. She didn't actually need it. She just wanted to know that she had access to money. And I talked to her in 2009. Her house value had gone down precipitously, actually. But her line of credit had continued to grow and actually was more valuable than the house at that time, right? Yes, that's what it was. And it, it, so it continues to accrue interest. It, we don't call it interest because there's no tax consequences. It's just like that credit card. You have a line that's growing. Your credit, your ability to borrow has increased. It's the same as if you had a credit card and they continued to increase your line of credit on that credit card. You have access to it. But to speak to that whole thing about when you die, you can never, ever be upside down on a HECM. People don't know that because a HECM is a non-recourse loan. That's a legal term. That means no personal liability. So that means, like in 2008, I was in the business in 2008, values went down. Some people were upside down with HECM and with traditional mortgage. They were upside down. But with the HECM, what we do is we look at the value of the at the time, and if they're upside down, they can sell it or refinance it for 95% of the current value, or they can turn it over as a deed in lieu of foreclosure, and the lender just makes a claim against the mortgage insurance that's built into the HECM. That's that non-recourse feature. So let me just give you a quick example. I had a client who we did a reverse mortgage for in 2003. She wanted to retire, she had a mortgage, and she knew she couldn't retire as long as she had this mortgage. So she, we, we paid off the mortgage, we paid off her credit cards, she was able to retire and have the money she needed without worrying about a mortgage payment. Wow. Well, she died in 2009. I, I knew that because I got a call from her kids and they were worried because that house that had appraised for 200,000 in 2003 was now worth 100,000, right? I mean, values drop, mm -hmm. but she owed 150. She was upside down, right? Mm -hmm. The house worth 100, the outstanding balance was 150. They were worried that they were gonna have to cough up $50,000 or have a deficiency judgment on their record. Both, both was worried. But I said, well, what did the house appraise for? because we always get a new appraisal. They said $100,000. So I said, good, okay. So you can refinance it for 95% of that, 95,000. Mm -hmm. You could pay it off for 95% of that, 95,000. Or you can turn it over as a deed in lieu of foreclosure, walk away and know that the, the investors will be made whole because of that mortgage insurance. So mm -hmm. they ended up doing that but interestingly, that house that was worth $100,000 in 2009 is now worth a half a million dollars, right? So they could have paid it off if they had access to money. A lot of money was tight then. People mm -hmm. couldn't. But for $95,000, even though 
they owed 150. So what I tell my clients, we can't guarantee that your heirs will have equity in this house. It depends on how long you live and what the interest rate is and how you use the money. We can't guarantee, but we can guarantee that they never have to come out of their pocket for money. And if you use it correctly, we can also guarantee that you have a bigger legacy. Why? Because that mortgage payment that you were paying, what we call misdirected funds, you've used that in other ways. So there's an opportunity cost. When you go into retirement, making a mortgage payment, there's an opportunity cost. What? You could be buying long-term care. You could buy life insurance. You could give money to your uh, advisor to invest for you, but you can't do it if you're you know, stacking money into equity, right? So, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so, woo. So that is a cool way to create generational wealth. So tell us now, you just kind of gave us a little gloss over on the three types. So it was the line of credit and like the way people will receive the HECM, right? So tell us about how they will receive the funds or have access to the equity that they're borrowing. So uh, let me just say there's actually two types of actually three types, but I've never seen the third type. So there's a, there's a, there's a HECM, which is the FHA product. 97% of the market share is HECMs. There's the proprietary that are jumbo uh, reverse mortgages. And then there's single uh, use reverse mortgages that states do. Now I, I'm in the state of Georgia. I've never seen uh, that kind of reverse mortgage, but I, I hear that they're out there somewhere. I just have never run across these single use. Like I need to put a roof on my uh, on my uh, house or I need to, you know, redo my plumbing. I've just never seen them. I, I hear. Okay. So that's the kind of reverse mortgages. Okay. Okay. Now in terms of the distribution methods, how do how can you take the money? So if you're doing a refinance on a reverse mortgage, which means you're in the house, this is the house you want to live in, I want to get some equity out. You can take the money out as a lump sum, right? So you can take all the money out. You can take the money out as a monthly payment. And that monthly payment can either be annuitized, what we call a tenure payment, which means we're, we guarantee whatever amount we give you, you get that payment until you no longer are living in the house, right? So mm. if you happen to live to be 110, we have to pay you that payment. We, of course, use actuarial tables. We don't think you're going to live to 110, but what if you do? We right. get it. Or if you need more, you can get a term payment. Let's say we say, well, you can get $500 as a, as a tenure payment. And you say, well, I need $1,000, right? Mm. We can say, okay, we can give you $1,000, but that's only going to last you for 10 years. Are you cool with that, right? And so that's called a term payment. But one of the most popular ways and the way that I love to talk about is the line of credit, which I did talk about. You can put all or some of that money in the line of credit. And the reason we like it, it's because it's so flexible. You have growth and currently that growth is over 8%, right? Wow. You have liquidity, which means you have access to get your hands on that money. You have safety. What I mean by that, sometimes people compare HELOCs, home equity line of credit with HECOPs. HELOCs can be closed, shut down, frozen. At any time the bank thinks the value of the house 
has gone down. And that's happened two times in my career. In 2008 and nine, HELOCs were a thing, you know, I, you know, I remember a guy, a friend of uh, uh, one of my clients, he was so angry because he had paid his HELOC payment on time every month and they closed the HELOC, right? Just when he needed it, he didn't have access to it. It happened again in, during the pandemic. Chase, Wells Fargo got out of the HELOC business. If you had a HELOC, you didn't have access to it anymore. They don't offer them. Even to this day, Chase and, and Wells Fargo does not offer HELOC. So, so uh, what we call a RELOC, reverse equity line of credit, will always be available as long as you're in that house and you don't file for a bankruptcy. You will always have access to that growing line of credit. Wow. So those are the three ways, or you can take it uh, a combination. You might say, well, Jeannie, I need a supplemental payment of $300 every month, and then I want the rest of it in the line of credit, right? And you can do, and you can change it. So it's super flexible. If, you, if you're getting that $300 and then you realize, hey, I don't really need this because I'm not spending as much money as I thought, you can change it and put it back in the line of credit or whatever you need to do. So, so tell us about the tax implications, because I know they talked about that as well. Sure. How does that look? Well, it's a loan. So as so the fact that it's a loan means that, that there's no income tax paid on the money. And in fact, people use the HECM to get access to tax-free money to do things like um, rolling over a traditional uh, uh, IRA to a Roth. Who's going to pay the taxes on that, right? So they use it that way. They also use a tax stacking strategy, which means, let's say you take out a reverse mortgage at 62 and interest is accruing on the back end, right? And let's say you let that interest grow and grow and grow. We know right now the standard deduction's pretty high, like it's almost $25,000 for a couple, right? And so a lot of, I t I'm told that only 8% of people even itemize these days because of that. But you can allow that mortgage interest to grow over two, three, four years as a strategy and then pay it all at once along with other things so that you can itemize that year and take a tax deduction. You can pay it from the HECM, right? Because you're taking money. And then, and then so you can do that, pay it into the HECM. I mean, take it, like, let's say you have RMDs. You, you can take that money out. And pay it. You can pay the interest. You get a 1098 when you pay the interest and that money you just put in there in the line of credit, you can have access to it the next day, right? And it's a tax deduction. And it's, and it's a tax deduction. Absolutely. So there's all these strategies that weren't around when I first got in the business because financial planners and advisors have learned. There's been lots of white papers, lots of really smart people who have done all kinds of research on using housing wealth in a coordinated way with other assets, right? If you're a fiduciary, you should be looking at every asset. Like how, how, how can you not look at a house <laughs> that often is the biggest asset you own, right? If you're a fiduciary, you're looking at everything, trying to figure out how you can reach your client's goals. So in my mind, if you don't at least look at the house and figure out how you can, that house can have a part in this coordinated strategy, I don't know if you're really doing your job as a planner because that's a big asset, 
right? And very few, you know, people like, well, what if the kids want the house? Very few kids actually keep a house. Only one in 200 kids ever keep a house. One of the reasons is if you have more than one heir, how do you divide a house amongst three heirs? <laughs> exactly. You divide money all day long, right? But you, it's hard to divide a house. Mm -hmm. And so most of the time they sell it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a good, very good point. The other thing is I heard about you can buy a home this way. So tell us about like who would do that? Who would buy a home using the HECM as a strategy? Because what I think about is like if you have this, and it, I could be wrong, but you have this massive home, kids are grown and gone, you're retired, you've got too much house, you want to downsize and buy something in a 55 plus community um tell would that be somebody like tell us how you would purchase a home this way yeah so most of my clients who use what we call the heckam for purchase are doing just that the house they buy in their 30s and 40s is rarely the house they want or need in their 60s 70s and 80s it just isn't the house you buy when you're right raising children is often two-story Mm -hmm. It's big. It has a lot of bedrooms, has a lot of bathrooms, often has a basement, mm -hmm. has a big, a big yard front and back, right? That was a, a phase in your life. But when you get to be an empty nester, the kids are gone, they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. You don't need that house. And in fact, and sometimes that house has become a burden. I have a client who had um, back surgery. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have a owner's suite on the on the main on the main. So yeah. she crawls up the steps every night to get to her, her bedroom and crawls down every night. Like that's not a safe right. place for her to be, and it's a burdensome. Uh, my in-laws bought a big house in Snellville here in uh, out, right outside of Atlanta, a huge house. They do have an owner's suite on the main, but they never go upstairs. So that means they're cooling that big house, paying to cool it, paying to heat it in the wintertime. They're paying insurance on it. All of the expenses of keeping up a big house and they're living in two or three rooms on the main level. So wow. that's a typical client of mine. And Often my clients think there's only two ways to buy a house. They think either I'll sell my house and I'll buy a house in cash with the net proceeds, right? Or I have to take out a 30-year mortgage. Now, two things happen when they have that idea. Let's say they net $250,000 from the house after they pay the realtor fees, pay off the mortgage. They go out looking for a house for two fifty dollars because they're thinking they're going to buy it in cash. They're not happy. What they can buy for two fifty? They're like, oh my god, these are closet sticker <laughs> shock, right? They're they can't believe it. They're like, oh my god, and then at sixty two or seventy two or eighty two, they are loathe to take on a thirty year mortgage. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to be in a house that you have to make a mortgage payment in retirement. So they're resigned, and if their realtor doesn't know about the Heckam for Purchase, then they, they, they stop looking. That's one of the things that's keeping, that's mm -hmm. not the only thing, but that's one of the things that's keeping the inventory so 
so low is that the baby boomers who typically would be selling their house are not selling their house. They're like, nope, no thank you. The, the cost of housing is so expensive, I can't afford it. But there's a third way. So they could net that 250 from the sale of their house. And then depending on their age, they may be able to buy a $450,000 house. Why? They bring that 450, they just flip it from one house to the next. They bring it as a one-time down payment. The Heckam brings the financing, the rest of it to the table, right? Wow. So they are in a new house without a required mortgage payment. Now you tell me somebody in retirement who doesn't want to have to make a mortgage payment, right? They, they don't want to because it takes up a huge portion of their income. And without a mortgage payment, they have more monthly cash flow to do the, some of the things they thought they were going to do during retirement. So Yeah, yeah. So so who's a candidate for this? Who who are perfect candidates for this these options? So what I say is if anybody's 62 or older, they should at least learn about it, right? I don't know if they're a candidate because they have to educate themselves about it like any product mm -hmm. and decide this is what they want to do, right? So anybody 62 or older should at least educate is, is my view. They, they just need to know that that's an option. And then if they're still making a mortgage payment and they're looking at retirement, they should look at it and asking themselves, is this the house I want to live in throughout retirement? Or do I really see myself in a, you know, a condo, a 55 plus, a ranch? Do I want to be somewhere else? Do I want to be close to the grandkids, right? Asking yourself that because it is possible that you could do that. Like you could sell your house, open up some inventory for a, a, a you know, a young family that's raising a family mm -hmm. and get into the house that really, where you really want to be. So I would say most people in America, their biggest asset is their home. So if, if we don't uh, figure out how to um, train people and teach people, educate people, how to put all that equity to work, we just say that's lazy money. Like it's lazy because it's not working for you. It's in the house. You're walking on it all day, but it's not really working on your behalf. And sometimes it's working against you. So, and man, you know, I'll be honest, as an advisor, when I was in the, the previous, I guess you say, system where I had a broker-dealer, broker-dealers were not, some of them were not interested in us having these levels of conversations with our clients. And then when I started embracing financial planning as a, a service offering, which I think is so important because it takes into account everything yes. Yes. and your potential future in retirement and, you know, to death and having a plan in place, only then that I start to open up and go, wait a minute, because you're right. This is when I do someone's um, balance sheet and income statement and I do their plan and figure out what their net worth, <laughs> everyone's net worth, typically more of it is in their home than their retirement accounts. Now I have a few clients that have an excess, but that is very few and far between. And now I'm talking about people who have significant income yes. um, while they're working and not realizing that that asset, thinking of it as a fixed asset is something, okay, when they liquidate it, 
the fair market value would be X. And this is what they could get for it if they needed it. Right. But having an option to consider as part of the retirement plan, using this, I never even thought of and was actually discouraged to think of in my old industry. And so for those of us out there that are listening that are advisors who have broker dealers that are open and amiable to this, or if you're a registered investment advisor and you can do this, then I would encourage you because now I am doing plans and looking at the home as a way to create generational wealth. And I'll tell you in our community, in, in the African-American community, you know, the home ownership has been like the, the, the thing. It's like, that's the, the first step to creating wealth, not the 401k, but it's like, I own a home and that's the pride and joy. And so to be able to use that through retirement to not be a burden to your family. So let's just say like friends, my mom had a stroke at 49. By the time she was 62, she was not unable to work. Uh, she did leverage this later in life, finding out about it later. But, you know, to be able to leave that as a legacy and just not be a burden, be able to take care of herself and not have to make a mortgage payment. You know, she didn't find out about it until she was 66 and she died in her 66th year. Wow. Six months after she took it. Wow. She died. So four years of struggling to make mortgage payments and me helping her to do that could have saved us a lot of well, crap. So I do a lot of work with women um, because I think that women are vulnerable, right? I think we're super vulnerable. We, we um, make less m m money than men throughout our lifetime, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We, we are the ones who stay home with the children. I was home for 10 years, right? And we're not giving into Social Security. Often we don't have any kind of brokerage account or anything uh, that we're saving toward. We're the ones almost always that care for aging parents. Like they call it daughter care, in fact. Once in a while, I have a, a client who has a son who's caring for them. But most of the time, it's the daughter. Sometimes it's the daughter-in-law. Sometimes it's a granddaughter, but almost always it's a, it's a female. So when we're doing that, often we're not working as much. We've gone to part-time so we can take care of mom or dad or whomever. So we're not giving them that. And then we have the audacity to outlive our husbands. Mm -hmm. Right. So we live this long life. And that's one of the issues. People are living longer, right? Particularly women. And the longer you live, the greater opportunity you're going to have to need long-term care, yeah, right? Yeah. Very few of us have long-term care insurance. Mm -hmm. And not only does it go through your assets, we've seen it go through your children's mm -hmm. assets. And so if your children are paying for your long-term care, guess what? They're not saving for their own retirement. Like it's a, it's a domino, it's a domino effect. So if we don't start being wise and being open to getting good information because, you know, when Social Security was put in place in the 30s, people lived to be mid-60s. That was it. They died. That's not the reality anymore. Not anymore. I am not, right? So we have to use different mm -hmm. tactics, different thoughts. We 
to educate ourselves because we're not living in the 30s anymore. People are living longer and they don't have enough money to live. Yeah, yeah. And and all of the money is in the house. Yeah. I mean, all of it. Be, hiding, even in plain, if you, hiding in plain sight, right? Yeah, yeah. Because even if you have great retirement accounts, I mean, you start drawing that down at 4%, the market takes a dive. And now what happens to those accounts? You know, the fact that the money is tax free, you know, is also a great option because even if you have an annuity or pension that you're receiving from your former employer, that's taxed. This is not. So, you know, I'm not trying to sell anybody on it, but I'm just looking at the good, the advantages and the disadvantages from a financial planner perspective, but also as a, a woman. I mean, I'm I'm a little ways away from 62, never thought of this as an option, but darn it, now I'm thinking like this is, this is something to be considered. The fact that you mentioned 80%, I, I, you know, it's like say 80% of women die single. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And because of that, you've got to make sure that we have enough money to live right. in those single years. Who's going to take care of you? I'm thinking about it now. I hurt my knee and I asked my son to get me something from the store and it was like pulling teeth from a cougar. And so it's like, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I burn. I need to make sure I have money for somebody to take care of me in my in my elder years, right? And what about my house? So this is this is excellent. So I I mean, you just given us so much information. I'm I'm excited now because like I said, you guys, when I first had a conversation with uh, her, I was I was I had angry black woman. I was looking at her skeptical, <laughs> my side eye. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, send me the information. And then I started following her a little more and reading the things that she was putting out and Again, educating yourself is so important because you can miss out on so many good gems like this. The last question I kind of want to ask is, and I think I heard this on the webinar too, was like the Medicare impact and all that stuff. Does this impact that when you get a certain age? Like, let's say you get that money in and they, do they look at that money as something that counts against you? No, they don't. The only time that you have to be super careful is if you're getting Medicaid, really, which is different than Medicare, right? Medicaid yes. is a poverty program. And so in Medicaid, there's a means test, which means they have access to your account. At the end of the month, they're checking to see if what you said you had, you have, right? That mm -hmm. you don't. So what we tell people who are on Medicaid, don't take out a whole bunch of money from your HECM and put it in your checking account. Now, because it's going to raise a red flag. You could you could explain it, you could prove it, but it's going to cause a headache because it's going to be a red flag because they're going to think you have income that you haven't disclosed. Mm -hmm. Again, you could you could you could explain it. This is not this is from so what we tell people on Medicaid, if you have a need and you're you have money in the line of credit, Take what you need, spend it before the end of the uh, end of the month, before they look. You know, if you need a new roof, get the roof done mm -hmm. and move on from it. Don't just leave money there. So that's what, but it's it's not considered income because it is a loan that will be repaid at some point in the future. Wow. Wow. That is excellent. I did want to also say real quickly that sure. um, 
So this is an FHA product. So you can go to HUD.gov. You don't have to, to listen to Jeannie McGee talk about this product. It's It can be researched at HUD.gov. It's an FHA product that's been around since 1988. Plus, many researchers from your industry, Wade Fowl, Harold Levinsky, mm -hmm. Barry Sachs, um, Jamie, uh, Jamie uh, Hopkins, and others, have written great information, have done great research. So it's not like, oh, Jeannie's trying to push this. These are very well-known. Some of them are doctors, PhDs, tax attorneys, have done a lot of work looking at housing wealth and how it incorporates with other assets to make you have um, more income, monthly income, to mitigate your tax a burden to have a more efficient retirement, which is really just a, a retirement that lasts as long as you do, and to leave a bigger legacy. So, yeah, not just us. You're right. You're right. It's interesting. There's an estate planning conference uh, down south, and they have a workshop that they're going to be talking about using housing wealth as an estate planning yeah. tool. So um, I do know that it is in our industry, a lot of uh, the professionals have spoken about it. Again, I just never looked at it. I just kind of was always, you know, cautioned to turn my head when those those two words came up. It just was like, no, it's bad, you know, cross, cross. So um, definitely learning and have learned so much from you. And yes, like she said, like it's not, she's not trying to sell you on this. Neither am I. We're just here to educate you as the, as you look at options for how to manage your money, how to create wealth for yourself. It's all about being financially confident. And I believe finding knowledge gives you that. Um, and so this podcast is just that. It is education. And she's also giving, and we'll put those resources, Jeannie, in the notes when I when I air the show Monday. Um, we'll make sure that they have your contact information and the resources that they can use to research outside of you and your company. But if someone, because you make it so clear and you explain it so well, if someone needed to contact you, could you tell us how they would reach you just to be educated? Like, what's your process? How does that work? Yeah, my process is really education first. Like I, when people call and say, I want to do a reverse mortgage. I want to do a HECM. I say, let's back up. We got to talk. Like, what do you know? And it, it's important that they get educated. And then they have to, they're required to do uh, counseling with a HUD approved counselor. Whether you're doing a refinance or purchase, it's required. Required. So I can't, I can take an application, but I can't start processing the application until they've actually done that counseling. Super important. It's a consumer protection, right? To make mm -hmm. sure that they understand how it works and to make sure that they're competent. We, we deal with a protected class. Are you yeah. competent to go into a mortgage, right? So that's my process. And then once they're educated and they, they're clear about what they want, um, then we can proceed with taking the application. And I, I will tell you that I tell everybody that if you have assets, you want to get a financial planner. Like the work that you do, April, super important. Mm -hmm. Super important to have somebody on your side educating you, advocating for you, helping you make decisions. And as you know, you can't make a lot of mistakes in retirement. You know, okay. if you make mistakes at 20, it's you got time. But in mm -hmm. retirement, you got to 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point is to make sure you have a team. You know, it's always good to have another set of eyes to kind of help you navigate this because it can be a maze and it can be confusing. And so making sure you have that team person on, you know, someone on your team to help you navigate that. At the end of the day, it is your choice and your decision. But as a financial planner, yeah, I am here to help. And I definitely help my clients to navigate those waters. I will say these, this has been uncharted territory for me. So I am learning and educating myself as a planner. And I do see this as, a, as an option is something I'm definitely going to start looking at strongly as I'm building plans for my clients and giving them the option to, uh, you know, just explore, hey, this could be an option for you. It, it's not the end all be all, but knowing that you have this kind of available wealth there for you that you could use also be a little more peace of mind, especially when the market is doing its thing. So, well, I want to thank you so much, Jeannie, for coming today and just giving us a tad bit of your wisdom and knowledge. It has been so insightful. I have learned a lot. And I thank you so much again for putting up with me <laughs> and my side eye behavior. I wasn't going to let you go, girl. I wasn't going to let you go. Let me, um, you had asked me to provide my information. So let me just quickly say uh, I can be reached at 404-388-1885. I can be reached via email at genie, G-E-N-I-E dot McGee, M-C-G-E-E, at Fairway, F-A-I-R-W-A-Y-M-C, like mortgagecompany.com. So those are the two best ways. And you will, I'm sure, include my website and other information. I sure will. I'll make sure everyone can contact you. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And listen, you guys, get in touch with her. If this is something you're thinking about, get the education that you need. She is a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure you'll be more than satisfied working with her. So thanks again, Jeannie, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you.